From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Last week I received from uh, some very disturbing news. Someone sent me a link to a newspaper article from a Santa Barbara newspaper. And it was then that I learned an acquaintance of mine, someone who I had met just several months prior in uh, Santa Monica, Phil Marshall, former commercial airline pilot and the author of The Big Bamboozle, 9-11 and the War on Terror, had allegedly killed his two teenage children and then uh, killed himself. Murder, suicide. I don't, I can't say that I knew Phil Marshall that well, but uh, having met him and talked with him for several hours and on the radio, it just doesn't sound right, and I'm I'm still in shock, quite frankly. What you're about to hear is our last conversation, September 9th, 2012, two days before the 11th anniversary, and the big bamboozle essentially implicates members of the uh, the Soviet the uh, the Saudi royal family the Saudi secret intelligence network, the Civil Aviation Authority, working in concert with individuals inside the George W. Bush White House for orchestrating and pulling off the 9-11 terror attacks. And uh, here is my conversation, my last conversation with the late Phil Marshall, author of The Big Bamboozle, 9-11 and the War on Terror. Philip, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Hey, good evening, Richard. How are you? Terrific, thank you. And it was uh, a delight meeting you in Santa Monica a couple of weeks back and a real eye-opener. Yes. Let me uh, begin uh, by saying this. I finished the book, and I uh, again, I think it's important that uh, everyone within earshot get a copy. Not that, uh, you know, we're, not that I, I normally promote books to this extent, but I think you've really nailed this one. Like a lot of people, I got distracted with the whole controlled demolition aspect of this unsolved crime and now after reading your book philip i am convinced that that is a huge distraction maybe by design i'm not sure but this is the world's biggest unsolved crime and a lot of the information that solves it is contained in a report that was issued by the congressional joint inquiry something that most people have never heard of fewer have even read Tell me about the Congressional Joint Inquiry. When was it formed, and, and, and who were its leaders? It was right after the attacks, actually. Uh, in 2002, the inquiry was formed over the objections of the Bush White House. And um, Senator Bob Graham, who was the head of the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence uh, for the Senate, was the head of that inquiry. And, um, you know, they did a 10-month investigation into it. They were able to find FBI documents, you know, that showed that the FBI agents had, had been following the 9-11 hijackers and that they had been in contact, in, in close, uh, uh, continuous contact with uh, Saudi Arabian uh, intelligence agents who were, Acting as their uh, as their guides through America, uh, you know they they landed in. Um, I mean the, the inquiry report is is fascinating. Uh, it shows that the hijacker two of the hijackers had landed in Los Angeles back in uh, January on January fifteenth to be precise of uh, two thousand, and were soon met by Saudi agents who were connected to my area of expertise which is the training of the of the hijackers on the on the Boeing airplanes uh the the uh, uh, Bob Phil uh, or Bob Graham rather 
who led the inquiry. He was joined by a couple of top-notch congressional investigators. Tell me about them. Yeah, there was uh, one, Eleanor Hill was a, uh, a, a veteran congressional investigator and another guy named Jake Jacobson, who, uh, who was also a F- former FBI uh, agent, and he had turned um, into an investigator. He, he investigated it for, for the Congress also. And as you, as you point out, you have two FBI's in this, in this scenario. You have the field agents who are trying desperately to avert or avoid, uh, catastrophe. And then you have this other FBI with asterisks beside it. Explain the difference between the field agents and this other FBI uh, FBI headquarters, I believe you referred to them as. Yeah, well, the, the FBI field agents were following the hijackers. They had um, they were looking for them, and then uh, headquarters basically, um, which was you know being run out of the George Bush Center for Intelligence. Um, you know, every time they sent up, you know, hey, we 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 found these guys out training. You know, later on in in the investigation, um, the hijackers were out in the desert in Arizona uh, training to fly Boeing airplanes. And the FBI field agents actually sent up a message to headquarters, hey, we found these guys out here. We believe they're up to no good. We believe they're doing some sort of a terrorist operation. And, um, you know, they sent the warnings up to Washington, and when they got there, they, they literally disappeared. Now, before we get into uh, a lot of the substance here, which, again, uh, draws, uh, connects the dots, really, between the, the royal house of Saud, members of the royal family uh, of Saudi Arabia, and the 9-11 terrorist, uh, terrorists, uh, and this national security state that you're beginning to describe. Um, let me ask you why we haven't heard about the Congressional Joint Inquiry, if it was, um, uh, you know, struck in, in 2002 and you had uh, Senator Bob Graham leading this and investigators, uh, this is before the 9-11 Commission. Why didn't we hear about this? Why didn't the mainstream media report about this inquiry? Yeah, well, it was Dick Cheney's work. Uh, Dick Cheney actually called Bob Graham on the phone and told him to basically put a lid on it and, um, you know, that if he tried to reveal any of the stuff that they ended up redacting in that report, which was 28 pages worth, that they would face charges of leaking classified information. So they, they threatened him with jail if he was to release any of this information to the, to the media or to the public. And then Bob Graham would later, a couple of years later, write his own book. Uh, I believe it was entitled Security Matters. Did he divulge this information in that book yes he he went into great detail you know and, and he made a, a bunch of great points you know one one being that you know hey if it would be so difficult you know say you and i richard decided we're going to go to russia and do some sort of a uh, a you know aerial assault like this in a, in a big operation you know how how difficult would it really be you know for for them to detect us in their country trying to pull off some sort of an attack like this. But as we look at this, there were, you know, there were at least 20 people involved in the, in the direct conspiracy. And, um, you know, the people behind the, the scenes who were training these 
uh, hijackers to become pilots, you know, to fly a mission that lasted about 30 minutes long, you know, you know, it, it really gets, it really is almost impossible to think that, you know, that these guys could have been in the country training, you know, for this big mission. You know, we went, we know where they went at the beginning. They went to Florida for their initial, you know, basic training in small airplanes. And then later on, you know, in 2001, they all moved to the, they all moved to the desert and started flying these, you know, uh, learning how to fly these Boeing uh, airplanes that they were that was that was used in the attacks. Uh, let me remind listeners: Philip Marshall, a veteran airline captain, is with us and uh, uh, has led a comprehensive ten-year study into the tactical plan used by the 9/11 hijackers, and is the leading aviation expert on the September 11th attack. Uh, let me just set the table here uh, for those just joining us, Philip. So, uh, you believe that, uh, and and the congressional uh, joint inquiry. Uh, tends to suggest that this was an inside job. It was carried out in part by the the uh, the hijackers, but there was obviously participation within the U.S. administration. Yes, someone you know the the, the entire mission was was carried out by the Saudi Arabian intelligence uh, agency. And, you know, the 9-11 um, joint inquiry said that, you know, they were Saudi spies that had seemingly unlimited funds from Saudi Arabia. They knew where they were getting the money from. They, they tracked down the bank accounts, and they were able to find, you know, that they had shared bank accounts with some of the top people in the Saudi monarchy, including uh, this Prince Bandar bin Sultan was, um, you know, he. I, I believe that he was the initial mastermind. And then they later on farmed out, you know, the actual attack and the execution to the former Saudi intelligence chief, uh, a guy named uh, Prince uh, Turkey Al-Fazl, who they found, you know, he left Las Vegas, you know, in the same desert, you know, just a few days after the attacks with a 100 men, you know. So they had a pretty big logistical and tactical team on the ground operating in the U.S., and I believe that, you know, they could not have been operating here without some sort of protection from our intelligence community. Uh, you, you you point out that uh, Bandar al-Sultan is, is um, or at least you, you, you were describing this to me when we were in Santa Monica together, that uh, that he is so close uh, to the Bush family that he's known as Bandar Bush. Yes, and, you know, before 9-11, I was actually studying the Iran-Contra uh, affair that I was involved in back in the 80s, and his name came up as a financier in the illegal arming of the Nicaraguan Contras. You know, so the Bush, uh, the Bush Cheney uh, Saudi connection goes way back. It goes back at least 30 years to when, you know, these guys have worked together on several covert missions together. Now, Bandar was at the time the ambassador to Washington, was he not? That is correct. And, you know, we found, I mean, he met Donald Rumsfeld in, I have a picture of him on our Facebook page. Uh, our Facebook page is called The Big Bamboozle, and uh, it's a good place to go. That's where we put we post a lot of our uh, videos and a lot of the media coverage that we believe is, is nonsense, and then we will rebut the, you know, the postings that the media makes. But... Um, 
you know, Bandar is, you know, he, he is really, <laughs> he goes back along, he, he goes along, back a long way with the, with the Bush uh, family. When we come back, uh, we'll also talk about, uh, I believe, checks that were signed by Bandar's wife and where they ended up. We'll connect the dots here. The Big Bamboozle author, Phil Marshall, veteran airline captain, former government special activities contract pilot, and the author of The Big Bamboozle, 9-11 and the War on Terror. Don't you dare go away. Back with more. Stay with us. September 11, 2001, the deadliest attack on U.S. soil. Nineteen hijackers carried out the plot. Nearly all, 15 of them, were from Saudi Arabia. Some say it's more than a coincidence. There is absolutely no question that they were involved. Former Senator Bob Graham co-chaired the Joint Congressional Committee that investigated the attacks. He wrote a book based on the committee's 800-page report. But U.S. security officials stepped in. In that report was one chapter that primarily dealt with the role of the Saudis uh, in 9-11. That was the only chapter in the book that was totally censured. If you're sure your phone isn't tapped, call now, 416-360-0740. Is it rude to suggest that when the Bush family wakes up in the morning, they might be thinking about what's best for the Saudis instead of what's best for you or me? Welcome back. Uh, that clip you heard um, was from Michael Moore's documentary, Fahrenheit 9-11. Not a huge Michael Moore fan, but I think at least he came close to getting at the truth. Wouldn't you agree, Phil? Yeah, he was on the right track for sure. Um, you know, the, the missing link here to all the, you know, the, these theories uh, with the Saudis is, is what I was investigating, and, and that is basically the nuts and bolts of 9-11. You know, how they actually executed the attack, how they actually trained the hijackers, how they actually flew the mission, you know, um, how, how they prepared for it, how they, um, you know, how they started, you know, years in advance. This thing, you know, there's, there's another group called the Project for a New American Century. I bet you've heard of that. Oh, yes. And um, they... You know, they basically wrote the blueprint for the post-9/11 world, which was to invade the Middle East and to pretty much clamp down on, you know, American society. Um, you know, you can look at this as the the central intelligence has has basically taken over the United States government. They've changed their name to the United States Intelligence Community. They're based at the George Bush Center of Intelligence in Langley, Virginia. And they now control 16 of our most powerful agencies in Washington. And, um, you know, those include the Department of Homeland Security, you know, DHS, the TSA, Transportation Security Agency, the CIA, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the FBI, the Department of Justice, the Department of Defense, and here's the big one, the United States Treasury where over $15 trillion have disappeared from our Treasury since the 9-11 attack. So this is a coup d'etat. Uh, it's the second coup d'etat. First, they took the executive branch over in 63 in Daly Plaza, and then, I guess, the remaining important uh, um, uh, departments uh, with 9-11. Phil... Uh, uh, Phil is um, Phil Marshall is with us, the author of The Big Bamboozle. I, I mentioned before the break, 
Uh, Prince Bandar, member of the Saudi royal family, was the ambassador to Washington, D.C. during 9-11. His wife, did she not write checks to the, the terrorists? Yeah, well, they, they had a joint bank account at the Riggs Bank in Washington that was in business, I think, since 18... 1830 or you know way back before the you know before the civil war even you know and uh, this was a big washington powerful bank and you know she had an account there and so did bandar himself and then the hijackers the people who were uh supporting the hijackers were harboring the hijackers on the west coast also had a bank account at that same bank and there was transfers that the congressional joint inquiry found that went from her bank account directly to the people who were aiding the hijackers so i mean this is not conspiracy theory folks this is the these are the findings of the congressional joint inquiry which was largely ignored muzzled uh by uh, dick cheney even uh, now did cheney not sick the fbi to investigate the uh, the members of the inquiry yeah according to graham's book uh you know he wrote a book called intelligence matters and um you know he described how you know they were threatening you know the the investigators the congressional staff and everything with lie detector tests with all kinds of you know intrusive uh you know interrogations and just threaten them and they muzzled them into silence and that's exactly what uh, senator graham said they were muzzled into silence by dick cheney now the the saudi uh, agent that that met uh at least two of the hijackers i believe in in san diego uh, tell me about this individual yeah well this guy was named omar al-bayoumi and he was a um he was a Saudi national living in the United States, living living in San Diego. And on uh, just a couple of days after the hijackers had landed in, in Los Angeles, he drove up to the Saudi embassy and met behind closed doors at the Saudi embassy and left that meeting and, and went directly to a, a small restaurant in Los Angeles where the hijackers were waiting. And he... Now, the thing that I found really interesting about him was he was the guy that I was looking for because when I put the, I began my research by putting together the attack. I recreated the attack. I recreated the times that they departed, how they flew the mission, what kind of air, you know, aviation uh, skills were needed to fly this mission. And I determined that they had definitely had contact with Boeing experts. And this guy, Omar Bayoumi, was working for a company called Dalla Avco out of on the West Coast. But they were based in Saudi Arabia, and they had Boeing aircraft that they had underneath their, uh, under their certificate. So this was my aviation expert that I was looking for. And he, was, he wasn't an aviation expert, but he led them to the company that had training materials, had simulators, had all the you know, all the things that you would need to, you know, train the hijackers. And I'm sure he had access to uh, Arabic-speaking flight instructors for the Boeing aircraft. Omar al-Bayoumi. This is, he's, he was an, is an employee of the Saudi Civil Aviation Authority. Right. And he met these hijackers. Now, this, again, is cor- according to the Congressional Joint Inquiry. Yes. He was someone that the FBI were very interested in speaking to. Yes. 
What happened when the inquiry tried to speak to this individual? Well, they actually served him a subpoena, or, or they, they wrote up a subpoena, and um, the FBI headquarters and the, the Bush White House refused to serve him the subpoena. Why? They didn't give a reason. They just said... <laughs> you cannot interview this individual. Yeah. This so. is someone who had contact with at least two, perhaps three hijackers prior to the 9-11 attacks, had repeated meetings with them, and the inquiry was told by the FBI, by Dick Cheney, don't you dare speak to this individual. That's correct. That's correct. And, and the, the most interesting one is, is the, uh, the, the, the eventual pilot hijacker for American 77, a guy named Hanny Hanjour. This is the one that hit the Pentagon. This is the one that flew into the Pentagon. That's the one that hit the Pentagon, exactly. And he flew into town, um, into San Diego, um, you know, the day after Bush was declared president by the Supreme Court. And soon after, within the next week, all three of them left the San Diego area, and that's when they went out into the deserts in Arizona and began to train for the mission. Now, we need to spend some time uh, discussing how this was pulled off, because as you point out in The Big Bamboozle, everything we knew about Al-Qaeda, if there is an Al-Qaeda, uh, up until this point, up till this point, was all about car bombs and, and uh, you know, shoe bombs and, and, and pretty awkward, clumsy attempts to bring down airliners. Now, all of a sudden, we're led to believe that they're capable of something Far more complex. I mean, exponentially more complex. Bringing down uh, or bringing the, the most sophisticated uh, military uh, and defense mechanism ever known to man to its knees. It just doesn't. It doesn't add up. Oh, it, it's it's absolutely impossible to suggest that these guys, the ones that, and and, and the thing is, is that there's no evidence in, when you when you read over the real evidence in this case, the facts all point to the Saudi operation. And to suggest that some guy that's living in a cave without electricity was the guy that defeated all U.S. national security is, is, is preposterous. However, and, I, and I, I asked you this in Santa Monica, because up until I, I read your book, Phil, I part of me still believe that it, it, that uh, those buildings may have been brought down in part by controlled demolition or some other some other device uh, that it that it wasn't possible, for example, for Honey Honjor to maneuver um, Flight 77 into the Pentagon and, and, and hit it that way. But but you say it is. I mean, you're you're speaking as a veteran commercial airline pilot. The things that they did on 9/11, those 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 hijackers, it is possible with the right training. Oh, absolutely. And, and um, you know, I, I've flown the patterns, you know, in the simulator that they flew. Now, the most difficult one was the one that hit the Pentagon. You know, he, he began, he, he didn't take over the airplane, and I, I point this out in the book, you know, how the errors that they made. I believe that they meant to take that airplane over a lot earlier, but they didn't, for some reason, they didn't take the airplane over until it was almost 300 miles to the west of Washington. I think the initial plan was to take it around 70, 80 miles, something like that. So there, there was some kind of a, a malfunction going on with the, with the hijacking that they didn't take the airplane over when they should have. 
So it, it really exposed a lot of errors, and it, it really exposed who was behind it because, you know, all that time that it took them to fly, I mean, they were flying for 40 minutes, you know, at 500 miles an hour straight, you know, while the country was under attack, you know, something that would look like a missile on a radar, you know, a 500-mile-an-hour object coming straight at, at the nation's capital, um, it really exposed them. But to, to see the way he flew that airplane, you know, he turned it around, you know, he descended, he took the autopilot off for a while, he put it back on, he came down to 9,000 feet over Dulles Airport, you know, and this is 30 minutes into after they took over the airplane, and supposedly, you know, NORAD didn't see this, this missile coming right at at Washington, and he disconnected the autopilot. He came down to about 7,000 feet. He did a very advanced uh, right descending turn. You know, this is all on the on the black box recordings, the FAA radar, NTSB reports that I was able to, to get. And, um, you know, he, 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 he rolled out about 2,500 feet, uh, about four miles to the west of the Pentagon, pushed up the throttles all the way to, to the firewall, basically, and 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 nose the airplane down and hit the Pentagon at an incredible speed, 480 knots indicated, which for that airplane at that altitude, the red line is at about 350 knots. So, I mean, this guy really did some phenomenal flying. But, like I said, this guy had time in airplanes before. He had a commercial uh, pilot's license for smaller single-engine airplanes, but definitely he could have been trained up easily to to that level of flying, but it would take many, many practice sessions to get that type of proficiency. And uh, and uh, of, of American Airlines uh, 11 and United Airlines 175 that hit the North and South Towers, uh, likewise, those maneuvers, could, you could do that if you had enough training? Oh, absolutely. I mean, these are normal procedures. I mean, they're, they're procedures that we practice in the simulator all the time. Basically, uh, 175, the one that we've all seen that hit the South Tower. So, you know, he was over New Jersey at 31,000 feet and, you know, basically did a, what we call a, a high dive, which is, you know, in case you, you know, blow out your uh, pressurization, we practice this all the time where you, you know, throttles off, spoilers out, you just let the airplane dump down. How know. would they know exactly where to hit it to cause the buildings to collapse? Well, I think he was trained to hit, you know, at a certain point where you were out of the range of the water cannons. And then, you know, if you, you, know, if you look, you know, people say, well, you know, a missile or, or whatever. But, look, a, a Tomahawk missile weighs 2,500 pounds. It's not a very big missile. A, a Boeing 767 weighs 300,000 pounds. Okay, so that would be it would be the equivalent of hitting that building with about a hundred Tomahawk missiles. When you consider that that airplane, 300,000 pounds, with um, 30,000 gallons of jet fuel in it, you know that was that was the biggest conventional missile. Even though it was an airliner, it, it, it's, a, it's a missile. But we were told that the hijackers uh, basically learned to do this by flying in some single-engine planes and then watching some movies. <laughs> Why would they say that? Why wouldn't they 
give us a more believable story and say, no, they had training. You know, they used simulators. Maybe they even flew a few Boeings. Yeah, well, you know, they knew that they went into simulators down in Miami and, and one in Arizona. And then I believe that they were on a, they actually got into real airplanes because at, at a certain intelligence community uh, airport just north of Tucson, Arizona, uh, I did the research on it, and that, that airport had Boeing 757s and 767s parked at that airport okay, at let me the just, very time. Phil, let me take a time out. We'll come back and we'll discuss that when we come back. Phil Marshall, the Big Bamboozle. Stay with us. Well, generally, is that a traffic area in New York for, for aircraft? It is not a normal uh, flight pattern. I'm a frequent uh, traveler between Atlanta and New York for business, and it is not a normal flight pattern to come directly over Manhattan. Usually they come up either over the, the Hudson River heading north and, and pass alongside the island of Manhattan, or if they're taking off from LaGuardia, they usually take off uh, over Shea Stadium and, 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 and take up, gain altitude around the island of Manhattan. It's rare that you have a jet crossing directly over um, the island of Manhattan. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Again, this is not conspiracy theory. These are the findings of the Congressional Joint Inquiry led by a former Florida senator, a Republican moderate by the name of Bob Graham. And what was not redacted certainly clearly shows a connection between the Saudi royal family and the 9-11 terrorists. But none of that could have happened without complicity from somewhere inside the United States government. Now, it, does the Congressional Inquiry go so far, Phil, as to indict individuals in the U.S. government for this cover-up, or do they simply hint that there was a cover-up? What do they say? The parts that have been declassified do not go into that. Uh, however, uh, Senator Graham has, you know, vehemently exposed that there was 28 pages that are still classified that go into greater detail. And um, th those 28 pages, now th this is a report, this is a congressional report paid for by the taxpayers to get to the bottom of the 9-11 incident and um, the attack. And, um, you know, for, for Dick Cheney to step in there and say, no, I'm sorry, you guys, this is classified. And w when everyone on that committee was saying that there was nothing, nothing that, affected national security that it was just a total embarrassment they called it to the um to the to the bush administration now let's get back to this um this covert airfield that you've concluded was where the terrorists where the hijackers were trained in simulators now first of all is it possible speaking as a veteran airline uh, captain is it possible for an individual to fly in Boeing simulators undetected? Uh, it'd be very, very difficult. I mean, there, there's contracts, contractors that, 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 uh, rent out Boeing simulators to, you know, potential pilots. Now, I'm not talking about simulators here. I'm talking about actual airplanes that were on the ground at this, uh, this airbase, um, that's known for covert activity. It, it goes all the way back to the Air America days when they were training in the C-123s. And, um, you know, this airport has a long history of black operations and, uh, covert operations 
being trained out of that airport. So there's a lot of top-secret stuff going on out there. I went out there myself to, to visit that airport one night, and I saw all kinds of Black Hawk helicopters. Uh, I saw C-131s, C-130s, you know, out there practicing, training all throughout the night. So so you've deduced that this, this airfield is where the hijackers uh, learn to fly Boeings. That's my that's my educated guess. The um, you know at the at the time we had Saudi we knew we had the Saudi hijackers out there. We had the Saudi uh, intelligence people out there, and we know that there were 757s and 767s, the, the same planes that were used in the attack. They were parked at this field. Would they have actually been able to? To, to do a dry run and actually fly, take take their turn uh, in the captain's chair of a 757 or a 767 while in flight. Absolutely. Absolutely. They could have done that many, many, many times over. And the, the Congressional Joint Inquiry and, and the 9-11 Commission both found that all of the pilot hijackers had made trips, you know, in, into the desert um, for from about May until August of uh, 2001, where they would they would land at Las Vegas Airport in the in the desert, and they would disappear for three or four days at a time, and then they would reappear and go back to the East Coast, and that every last one of them was documented to do that. And in the Big Bamboozle, I show you know all of these. You know all, all the testimony of the of the FBI director who was who actually mentioned those flights. And again, it's not possible, for example, that these hijackers told the people that were training them were members of the uh, you know were were bodyguards for the Saudi royal family. They want us to train as pilots. Why couldn't they have have used that excuse? Oh, well, they used that excuse when they were in basic training down in Florida when people were asking them what they were doing you know, in Florida learning how to fly airplanes. And they, they said that they were Saudi royal family bodyguards learning how to fly airplanes. But when they got out into the desert, um, they, FBI agents were following them around, you know, and, and reporting, hey, you know, these guys are out here, you know, in the desert. They're learning how to fly airplanes. We think they're doing some kind of a terrorist activity. They sent that up. You know, it, that's all documented in the report. This uh, this FBI uh, field agent out of Phoenix uh, reported them. That, I mean, they could have stopped this. They could have stopped the attack probably ten times from the time just on the FBI reporting, you know, through their own channels. All right, we'll take a time out. Phil Marshall, the Big Bamboozle, stays with us. Back with more. Don't go away. Welcome back. Let me crib here quickly from the Big Bamboozle. From the moment the hijackers arrived on U.S. soil, it is well documented that Saudi intelligence agents and employees of the Saudi Civil Aviation Authority provided housing, obtained driver's licenses, and harbored them. After lying low as a sleeper cell throughout the year 2000, they would be led to intensive flight training in the Arizona desert in December of 2000, which leads to the first plausible explanation of the incredible flying performance demonstrated on 9-11. After submitting an 800-page report to the American public, Moderate U.S. Senator Bob Graham of Florida, the co-chairman of the inquiry, said, quote, There was a direct line between the terrorists and the government of Saudi Arabia. 
the Saudi government had provided logistical and financial support to at least two of the 9-11 hijackers while they lived in Southern California. Graham chronicled that FBI headquarters had responded aggressively to Cheney's request that the FBI investigate the inquiry staff during the investigation, interviewing dozens of members of Congress and their aides. The Bureau suggested it wanted to use polygraphs on some of the lawmakers with the threat of prosecution and jail of being traitors in a time of war. To, to Graham, the entire experience seemed surreal. So, the, nine, uh, the, uh, the inquiry connects the dots to uh, Saudi intelligence and then goes on to document how, or at least uh, Bob Graham did in his book, how Dick Cheney and the FBI wanted to cover this up. To me, that's pretty much case closed. You don't have to believe in controlled demolition to know that certain elements within the U.S. government working with Saudi intelligence pulled 9-11 off. Uh, Philip Marshall, uh, back to this airfield. Is there a connection between this airfield and Blackwater? Oh, yes. Um, You know, there was an author named Jeremy Scahill who wrote the book Blackwater, and he really chronicled the connections between the uh, the number three man supposedly at, at, at CIA, um, a guy named Buzzy Krongard. Um He was he was the man who was doling out contracts, you know, no bid contracts to to Blackwater on behalf of of us, the taxpayers basically. And uh, he was also the head of of the same investment firm, you know. Uh, he was formerly the head of the, the the same investment firm who placed put option trades, stock trades on two airlines. Only two airlines were were traded in 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 big portions in the week prior to 9/11, and it was by his firm. And the the only two airlines that they used were American and United Airlines. They 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 um, they they traded stock. They put put options. You know. You know, betting that that the the stock price for United and American would go down. They did not place any other stock options on any other airlines. And that was done through the Chicago Stock Exchange. But how do we know it was Buzzy Krongard? Uh We don't know that it was from him, but we know that it was from the firm that he once founded. So there is a connection there. Alex Brown Bank was that it? Uh, exactly, Alex mm-hmm. Brown. All right, let's grab some calls. Our good friend, media scientist Nelson Thal, checks in. Hello, Nelson. I agree. You know, the planes are a distraction. I mean, look at Building 7, right? I mean, what are they going to say there? An invisible plane hit the building? But (laughs) you see the whole situation. But I don't think there was just any one. But this is too big for any. If anybody knows anything about the intelligence agencies, this is too big an operation for just one. I'm sure the Saudis were involved. Uh, So far, the banned book on the subject, it's also as important as English literature media scientist rich we should remember um andreas von bulow's book was banned and he talked about the cia and 9-11 so there were lots of agencies involved what brought down building seven i'd be interested in what he found well you know the building seven thing is, is suspicious to me i'm I, you know i'm not a building expert my my area of expertise is the airplanes and how they got you know to to where they were on 9-11 um, you know, I'm not an expert on how buildings come down. Um, you know, I think I think we need to look at that 
that project for a new American Century uh, document, Real Close Again, the Rebuilding America's Defenses. A lot of those guys, Paul Wolfowitz was in there, you know, Donald Rumsfeld. You know, these were all Cheney people, and they're all... Now, as for, as for Building 7, I mean, when I look at that, that could have been controlled demolition. Would you agree? Like I said, that's way out of my area of expertise. My area is the airplanes and how right. they got to where they got. All right. Let's uh, say hello to Michael in the beaches. Michael, welcome. Yes, uh, good evening. I seem to remember years ago uh, hearing some hijacker uh, being quoted as saying that he didn't want to know how to you know, start the plane or take off, and he didn't want to know how to land the plane. He just simply wanted to know how to fly the plane. And if that is true, that he allegedly said this, where would he have gotten the training? And was he one of the hijackers that died as well? Yeah, that was in the uh, the basic training phases when these guys were learning how to fly smaller airplanes and they, they were getting introduction courses in a Boeing simulator down in uh, Opelika, Florida. I believe that's where the, this incident happened. So they, they, the guy went in there. They're trying to, you know, they're trying to prepare themselves for the for the training that was coming up on the airplanes. I believe when he went into that simulator, he said, "Well, I don't really need to know how to take off. I just need to know how to fly around." Michael, thank you for the call. You mentioned earlier a Prince Turkey El Faisal, another member of the royal family. Uh, again, his connection to the 9/11 uh, hijackers was what? Well, he was in the desert, and uh, they they departed Las Vegas. There wasn't anything written up on him until they started looking into these flights that left uh, Las Vegas on September 19th, 20th, and I think 22nd, right after the attack. And there were three chartered airliners that left Las Vegas back going back to the kingdom, and he was on one of them, and there was 100 men with him. So he had been in the desert at the same time that the hijackers had been in the desert and and the people who were harboring them. Now it's interesting because some of the the survivors or the families of uh, those killed in the 9/11 attacks, they launched a, a class action suit against Prince Turkey El, El Faisal, did they not? That's correct. And 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 what happened with that suit? That suit was thrown out because the the federal judge ruled that you know we we can't sue a, a company a, a country who is operating on U.S. soil, <laughs> even though that that is illegal for a, for a foreign intelligence agency to be operating on U.S. soil. And and who was the lawyer for Turkey Al Faisal? Um, well, it came out of. Uh, James Baker's law firm down there, you know, James Baker and, and, and the Bush family are real tight. He was uh, chief of staff for, for, for George 41. Exactly. And James Baker and George 41, during the Reagan years, you have concluded, were essentially responsible for the Iran-Contra. Exactly, yes. Do you think, then, that James Baker and George 41 were also involved, along with Dick Cheney, with the Saudi uh, Civil Aviation Authority and members of the Saudi royal family in orchestrating 9-11. Yeah, I mean, I believe that this is a long-term plan to take over our government. And I, I wrote about that in my first book that was titled Lakefront Airport. It's not available for sale right now, but it will be soon. 
But yes, I started to connect the dots between James Baker, the Bush family, the Saudi family, and you know all this before 9-11 even started. So would you then conclude that what we witnessed on 9-11 was a coup d'etat? Yes, absolutely. I mean, if you look at what has happened to our government since then, and the big thing is that, you know, our justice system has been railroaded. At the same time they were training these Saudis, the back channels and CIA were floating this rumor about some dark ghost that nobody had ever seen, you know, some spooky guy named, you know, Osama bin Laden. Ooh. So they were spreading the, through the back channels that this guy was getting ready to attack. When the attack came down, everyone in CIA and everyone in, in the intelligence community said, oh, yeah, we know who did this. You know, it, it's this guy Osama bin Laden. But when you look into it, there is no, no, not one shred of evidence of any involvement in the planning or the execution of the attack. Now, uh, Prince Bandar, it, it was reported on July 26th, uh, again, the former Saudi ambassador to Washington, that he was assassinated. Uh, what do we know about Prince Bandar's whereabouts? Is he, in fact, dead, or do we know? Well, it's been known for... It, 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 there's been rumored for quite some time that he's he's got major drug and alcohol problems um, and that he'd been in some kind of an asylum or some kind of rehab facility for years. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's well documented that he has... A, has drug and alcohol issues um and for him he, you know he, he's been coming and going in the media and i think it's probably just another propaganda ploy it might be his his plan to escape just say that oh i'm dead you know and and uh disguise himself and go live on, on an island somewhere for the rest of his life i don't know uh, phil when it comes to 9-11 uh, skeptics uh who suggest there's no way it would have been uh an inside job it's even you know odious and and uh disgusting to suggest such a thing and they say so where are the whistleblowers well we've got senator bob graham sort of uh blowing the whistle but where are these fbi field agents who tried to tell their higher-ups that this was going on and they were repeatedly ignored why aren't they speaking out why aren't they more vocal yeah that you know that's a good question you know it would be in a federal trial, you know, which I have always pushed for, you know, bring this Khalid Sheikh Mohammed to trial. Bring these guys up on on a witness stand and let them do it. But, you know, this is a this is what I call a beer bottle cap conspiracy. You know, you've got all these people down in the middle of the of the bottle that are doing the grunt work, the real Americans, the real people who are who are honest. But it, right at the top, they put you know, they put the director of the FBI in there, and he holds down all that information. So it would be very interesting to get these guys on the stand and, and, and hear what they have to really say. Uh, Philip, uh, job well done with the Big Bamboozle. How can folks get a copy of this book? It's very important that they do. Uh, the book is available on Amazon. We have it on Kindle. It's also all throughout Europe and um, you know, the U.K. We have it on uh, Amazon U.K. and Amazon Europe. Um, so it's available. It's easy to pick up on Amazon. All right. Terrific job, and thanks for joining me, Phil. Thank you, uh, Richard, and thank you for uh, keeping this subject alive. It's the least I can do. All right, my man. Thank right. you. Bye-bye. The late Phil Marshall, 
Uh, dead, we are told, officially uh, murder-suicide after killing his own teenage children. Too tragic and horrific to even consider. I met the man. I don't know him. I didn't know him that well, but I find it difficult to believe that this gentle, uh, rational intelligent man would do such a thing. Perhaps, I mean, he indicted some pretty powerful people in bamboozle 9-11 in the war on terror. Did he pay for his, for this indiscretion, I suppose, or did he, did he pay with his life? Listen, um, it's a good way to discredit someone, right? You kill people close to him and then you kill him and you blame him. Anyway, we'll uh, perhaps never know. Phil Marshall, the big bamboozle, the late Phil Marshall. Uh, back next week with part two of my conversation with James D. Eugenio on JFK Cuba and the Garrison case. And in the second hour, disaster government, national emergencies, continuity of government and you. Thanks to Tim Spreen. Back next week. Hope, you, hope you'll be with me. Don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed, nothing revealed that won't be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. What you hear in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. Good night.